here tonight. It's awesome. All right, I'm going to go ahead and open my prayer. Are we good in the back? Ready to go? Okay. So Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for speaking through me, but even now the Holy Spirit moving upon every single person that's going to be listening or watching this live, whether it's some kind of recording. I thank you, Lord, even now for the Holy Spirit moving upon them. And, Lord, that the Holy Spirit will help us to get locked in and focused to give you our best ear, our full attention, and to be good soil of hearts and minds and lives. As you speak through me, your words of life that go out as living seeds of truth sown into good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, and take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. Lord, I thank you for the winds of the Spirit are going to carry this out among the nations. The Word will get where it's supposed to and accomplish what it's supposed to. And we pray about the situation Jesus said, the birds of the air try to steal the seed. So, Lord, we take authority and we bind anything of the enemy that would try to hinder this word in any way from getting where it's supposed to or accomplishing what it's supposed to. You will back off right now in Jesus' name. We break your power. And, Lord, I thank you for your angels clearing that out of the way. And, Lord, that we stand on the promise the word of the Lord will not return void, but it will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. So, Lord, we thank you for everything being accomplished in and through this time in the word and on into the altar time that you will to be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to continue the series Wolves Among the Sheep. Lord willing, tomorrow I'll pick back up on the series I've been doing on inner healing called Broken but we'll just see how the Lord leads. But anyway, tonight we're going to deal with the question, what is truth? And it, it may not be as simplistic of an answer as probably what you think, which you'll see here in a moment. But let's start with this Matthew 24, verse 4. It says, and Jesus answered them because they were asking Jesus about the end times. How many are interested in what the Bible says about the end times? I've found that a lot of people are very interested in that subject, you see. And so we've done, some, we've done a couple series on that. A few years back, we went through the book of Revelation, a Revelation of Final Days. I mean, every we read through the entire book of Revelation, line upon line, and expounded upon it. Which we did a series called Spine of Prophecy. So when they were asking Jesus about the end times, the first thing Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 4, he says, see to it that no one misleads you, or you could say deceives you. Okay, so please look this way and give me your best ear tonight. Make sure that no one deceives you in any way. No one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying I am the Christ and will mislead many or deceive many. Then they will deliver you over to tribulation. Now, let me read this again. Verse five. I think that this is the way the author intended this to be understood. Many will come in the name of Jesus saying, yes, Jesus is the Christ, but yet they will mislead many people. Did you see that? So they're going to come in the name of the Lord, and you're going to think that they're a Christian and think that they're even a minister, but yet they will deceive. I really believe that's what the intent of that, to be read that way, the author intended that. Okay, and then it goes on to say, then they will deliver you over to tribulation and kill you, and you'll be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. 
So you can see that there is going to be a lot of falling away from the faith, and we're seeing that today. And then there'll be a lot of hatred and infighting among God's people. And we're seeing that today as well. And then in that atmosphere, you understand that this is a time of difficulty, fierce times, perilous times. In that type of atmosphere, it says this in verse 11. Many false prophets will arise and mislead many. So Jesus Christ himself said that in the last days, there would be many, not a few, many false prophets. And it says, verse 12, because lawlessness will increase. Lawlessness is when people are not obeying the Lord. Look this way and give me your best ear. So, What it's saying here is because lawlessness where people are not obeying the Bible, they're not following Jesus Christ, they're not doing what he teaches them to do. Okay, he said because of the increase of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold. Okay, so this is a, this scripture sums up so much, but we're seeing in the day that we're living, many people that profess Christianity but yet their life does not reflect that of a Christian. How many have seen that? You've seen with your eyes, just wave at me, people that say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but their life is nothing like a Christian. How many knows God is not fooled by hypocrisy? Okay. So verse 13 goes on to say, but the one who endures till the end, he will be saved. There seems to be scripture that indicate a new birth, And then you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But then there's this enduring to the end and then being saved. And it's like in the end, we're given a glorified body. But how many knows it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Some of us didn't feel like maybe we started all that well, but God wants us to finish well in Christ. Amen. And then verse 14 says, The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Then if anyone asks you, behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, don't believe him. Look at this, verse 24. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to deceive even the elect if that were possible. And so you're going to see a rise of false Christs and a rise of false prophets. And of course, the ultimate one is the the false Actually, the Antichrist is a false Christ. And then the false prophet is obviously a false prophet. And the Bible says about him, he will be able to do such signs and wonders, even calling fire down from heaven. And it would be possible, it says, to deceive even the elect if that were possible. That's how strong deception will be. Did you all catch that? Jesus implies here that even the elect could be deceived except for one reason. God's going to protect. Isn't that awesome? How awesome is our God? In verse 25, Behold, I told you in advance. So if they say to you, Behold, he's in the wilderness, don't go out there. Or in inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. And then this interesting scripture in verse 28, Wherever the corpse is or a dead body is, there the vultures will gather. What are vultures speaking of here? demonic it's interesting to me as i read this that jesus would put that scripture in there but here's what i think the intent of that is where there are dead churches the demonic will gather 
And so we need to be in a place in these last days of being in a perpetual move of God. Amen. So I want you to notice verse 24, that there would be false Christs and there would be false prophets that would arise. And even these false Christs and false prophets, that they would even be signs and wonders that are accompanying them. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it actually says that the rise of the Antichrist would be with all kinds of lying signs and wonders so as to deceive. And so what does that teach you and I? Well, it shows us this, that signs and wonders does not need to be something that we look at as proof that it's of God. Amen? So we've got to test. The Bible says test all things and hold fast to that which is good. The Bible teaches us to examine the scriptures and make sure it lines up with the word. The Bible also teaches us to test the spirits. And we're going to get to that in a moment. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 4. It says, and even if our gospel is veiled or, or it's some kind of like a blinding there, if it is veiled to those who are perishing, so it's like something is blinding them, okay? In whose case, the God of this world, and it's talking about little g God, it's talking about Satan because Adam gave Satan his authority. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. How many have seen that before? Well, you've witnessed to somebody, and it's as though they just seem to be blinded to the truth. How many have experienced that? Because I've done a lot of witnessing, and I've run into that many, many times. So, as I go through this tonight... The main thing I want to get to is the question, what is truth? And that's now what we're moving into. But I want you to see in this series I did, this is a very interesting series because I've never done this before in my life. Back in 2021, two years ago, I started this series and I did a couple sermons. And I talked about developing your inner man and all that. Then the Lord brought me back to this series two years later to preach the latter part of it. Isn't that interesting? I've never had that happen. And so I've been dealing with these last couple sermons uh, about deception, but I want you to notice that the Bible says repeatedly that in the last days there would be deception. And the Lord wants us to be aware of that. So here's the question. Do you remember when Jesus went before Pilate and Pilate was asking him a question? But Pilate said this, what is truth? Do you remember that question? Here Jesus was about to go to the cross. And this heathen king says to him, what is truth? And it's not as simple of an answer scripturally as probably what you think. And so let me show you what I mean. John 14 verse 6 is a scripture that all of us are very familiar with. And Jesus said to him, I am what? The way. I am the truth. And I am the life. So no one comes to the Father but through me. So we know that Jesus is the truth, right? Okay. But then Jesus also gives us a few other scriptures. In John 17, verse 17, if you remember, Jesus was praying to the Father before he was going to be crucified and, and resurrected. And he said this, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So everybody say the word. Okay, 
So you see, it's not just a real... How many have heard people just give cliche answers? That can be annoying at times. But Jesus said he is truth, but Jesus also says the word is also truth. Now, in that 1 John 5, 6, it says, This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with water only, but with the water and with blood. It is the Spirit who testifies, because look at this, the Spirit is the truth. So, I want you to notice, Jesus is the truth, but He also says the Word is the truth, and then the Word says the Spirit is the truth. Isn't that awesome? But that is not in any any way a contradiction, because just like 1 John 5, 6, I just read, it goes on to say, that the blood, the water, and the Spirit all testify together. So, I said that to get us back to the menorah tonight. I've taught on this enough, those that have been with me for a while. I'm not going to belabor it too much. But when you went into the tabernacle, we know in the holy place, there was the table of showbread, and on the left, there was the menorah. Now, when you looked at the menorah, this is very important revelation in this menorah. First off, it is symbolic of a tree, and it's important that you realize that. But it was pure gold. There was nothing in this but pure gold. So everything else in the entire tabernacle was made with wood overlaid with gold. This was the only piece of furniture that was pure gold. And it was without any specific dimensions about it. So it's, it almost implies, even though I understand there was a certain quantity of gold used, but like almost like you can have as much as you want of what it represents, which I'll get to. So this was like a tree, like an almond tree, and even in some ways like an olive tree, but nonetheless it was supposed to represent a tree. And this tree had what the Bible called a knop and a bud and a bowl here, 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 and up here. So you had 12 in the center branch, and then there were three on each branch. But it, if you count the knob and the bun, the bowl, and you count all of them, it totals 66. Now, why is that significant? Because the Bible says that God would eventually give it in this right here, okay? It prophesies that God would eventually give us a 66 book of the Bible. Isn't that awesome? So this is a tree. And it represents a couple things. The root system of this tree. How many remember reading in Romans 9, 10, 11, where Paul talked about the tree, and then he talked about how there were branches that were unbelieving Jews broken off, and the believing Gentiles were engrafted in. So this is God's family tree. The root system of the tree goes back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and a covenant that God cut there. But out of that covenant sprung up a center branch. Who's the center branch? Jesus. Exactly. And there were 12. The knob and the bud and the bowl equaling 12. It says the government. 12 is the number of government. The government would be on his shoulders. Now, without, I could say a lot more, but for the sake of time, the, there's three branches. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. So both Jew and Gentile in Christ, this is his family, Okay. And so God has a family tree, but what has he given us as his family tree? What has he given us as a gift? Number one, he's given us his word. 
Just like I said, the 66 books of the Bible, he's given us his word. So we know that Jesus, the center branch, is truth, but also what else is truth? The word. And then it goes on to say in the Bible that the word, it would be what? A lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So God in his incredible love for his people, his family tree, he made sure and give us his word. And you could see that the the root system goes back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But then later on, after Passover with Moses and they came to Sinai, God cut covenant and he gave what? His word. And so his word was entrusted to his people. It's been down through the ages that God has watched over that word. And today we readily have a Bible available to us, God's holy word. Now, the second thing that this represents is the Holy Spirit. Because this had oil in it. Oil speaks of the anointing. There was uh, the wicks that were in it. And there was seven flames. And so the Bible says that God in Revelation, it talks about the seven spirits of God, but there's not seven different Holy Spirits. So Isaiah brings revelation about that when it says the Holy Spirit is this. He is the Spirit of the Lord, but He's also the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. How many knows we need the Holy Spirit's wisdom and revelation? He's the Spirit of counsel. We need His counsel, His leadership. Jesus said when he comes, he will lead you into all truth. He'll take what from what's mine and, and give it to you. He'll bring things back to your remembrance. He'll even show you things to come. So we need his counsel. He's also the spirit of might. How many knows we need the Holy Spirit's power, his might to come in to heal and deliver people? And then the Bible says, counsel might knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And I'm going to go somewhere with that in a moment. The fear of the Lord. So God has brought us together, Jew and Gentile, in Christ into his family tree. It goes back to the ancient times, a covenant cut with Abraham. Out of that eventually came the Messiah. And all of us in him have make up his family tree. And you could, I'll give one more quick revelation about this. I got to get off this. But Jesus came at... 2,000 years ago, the center of time, okay, if you will. All those that died in Christ before he came, they are died, I'm sorry, died before Jesus came, were looking to the one to come. Every time they offered up animals on the altar and that blood was shed, they were looking in the future of the one who would come and it would be fulfilled. But it seemed like there were two Jews for every one Gentile. Let me say that again because I want you to hear this. Before the cross, it seemed like there were two Jews for every one Gentile that was saved. You hear what I'm saying? But on the other side of the cross, it seems like there's been two Gentiles for every one Jew. Isn't that interesting? But either way, Jesus came. He is the centerpiece. He is the center branch. He is the truth. And in him, God has given us his word, which is truth, and given us his spirit, which is truth. And we need both because if you just have the word, but you don't really know the Holy Spirit, I've known people like that. They're very religious. A lot of times they're puffed up with pride and they're spiritually dead and dry and they don't know as much as they think they know. They don't care for the Holy Spirit. They don't care about the gifts. You hear what I'm saying? 
They think they know the word and they know some of it, but they don't really deeply know the word because they don't really have a relationship with the Holy Spirit to help them with that. Then I've known people that don't really study the word like they should. And because of that, they get off into the move of the Holy Spirit and they get caught up in revival and that can be a good thing, except because they don't have the word to balance them out, they get flaky and weird. So God gives us both his word and his spirit that we can grow up into all things in Christ, being mature in him, able to discern between what's of him and what's not, and that we can be strong in the Lord. Amen? And so that's God's gift to his people is both his word and his spirit. And interestingly enough, just a side note, when you look in the holy place of the tabernacle, the table of showbread is like Passover, but the menorah is like Pentecost. And then the altar of incense speaks of the fall feast. But I want you to think about this. At Pentecost, the first Pentecost was when Israel stood at Sinai and God came down and gave them his word. But what happened 1,500 years later on Pentecost, the same holiday, mind you, what happened? God gave his spirit. So God gave at Pentecost both his word and his spirit 1,500 years apart. But here's something I need to bring out. Why, why is this revelation tonight I'm sharing really important? Because when the Bible shows us a picture of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, he appears as the one walking among the lampstands. So picture, if you will, seven of these lampstands that were lit and burning, and they're kind of floating or whatever. I'm not sure how John saw it, but just picture that. And Jesus is walking. He's walking among the seven menorah that were there. And what did those uh, lampstands represent? Okay, just look this way tonight. Please hear me. What did the lampstands represent? They represented the churches. So God has called us as a church to be like a lampstand, like a menorah, okay? And so I'll get to this in just a moment. I just want to make sure everybody can get this point tonight. All right. So the seven menorah that were floating there represented the seven churches. So please catch this because pretty much this whole sermon is hinging on what I'm saying right now. So I'm trying to make sure that I know there's some different things going on. Just give everybody a chance to get focused again. All right. So as the menorah represents the word and the spirit, okay? So in the early church, if you look at the seven churches that were written to, Ephesus was the first church, the early church, the church Jesus planted. And then you can go down the timeline and Laodicea is the last day church. So with that said, the early church had the menorah. That's the one thing that marked the early church. Jesus said about them, he warned them, If you don't return back to your first love, you don't get back and do the things you did at the beginning. I will remove your lampstand. You'll lose the menorah. What does that represent? We just talked about what can be lost. Think about it for a moment. The most important thing 
that we have as a church to offer anybody is the pure word of God and the pure move of the Holy Spirit. That's what God has entrusted to his family. That is what people need more than anything else. And the Lord says, if you don't go back to your first works and did what, do what you did before, you're in danger of losing your lampstand, which is the one thing that you can't lose. I believe it's so vital that it's almost like God is saying, even your status as an actual church can be lost. Where all of a sudden you're no longer a true church anymore from God's perspective. You're just a social club. And now instead of the pure word being preached, now it just turns into motivational speeches or or things that itching ears want to hear. Hello? And the pure move of the Holy Spirit, the gifts, the power of God, what people actually need is gone. It's not there anymore. So what do they replace it with? They got to replace it with something because you got to keep the people coming. Entertainment. And so even though the doors are still open, the people still come and they don't even have a menorah anymore. <clears throat> what is truth? Jesus is truth. But his word is truth and his spirit is truth. And, and listen, people desperately need the church. Especially in these latter days, Hebrews says this, don't forsake assembling yourselves together, even all the more as you see the day approaching. There's a reason that's in the word. Because what the book of Hebrews is saying to you and I now, is that as it gets darker and the coming of the Lord is closer, you're going to need to gather with other believers even more. There's, there's just some, a lack of understanding, I guess, and some, there's when the Bible says where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm in the midst. That's not talking about at Starbucks. Okay, that's talking about in the Greek where two or three are led by the Spirit. Look it up in the Greek. Where two or three are led by the Spirit in my name, whatever they agree together is harmonized. In the Greek, it means worship and pray together. In other words, if you're led together by the Holy Spirit, and you're in that deep place of worship and prayer together, and the Lord is in your midst, then whatever you ask, it will be done. That's what it's actually saying. People take it out of context and, and quote it all the time. Well, we're two or three are gathered, the Lord's just there. That's not, that's not what it's saying. So let me, let me share something else. What about the simplicity of the message? 2 Corinthians chapter 11 Verse 2, Paul said, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve, everybody say deception, by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and the pure devotion to Christ. The simplicity... And then verse 4, for if one comes, I want you to please catch this. If one comes and preaches another Jesus, everybody say another Jesus. Did you know that there are other Jesuses out there? If they preach another Jesus whom we have not preached to you, or you receive a different spirit, everybody say different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, 
which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. So Paul's rebuking them about this. Now I want you to think about this for a moment because there's a lot of deception out there. And we go back to the simplicity of Christ and him crucified. What is truth? Number one, Jesus is truth. What else is truth? That he gives us his pure word and his pure spirit. So here's, here's deception. Number one, that people are accepting a different Christ. Let me give you some examples, and this is by no means exhaustive, just for the sake of time. But in South America, there's kind of this Marxist revolutionary type of Jesus that they bear arms and they begin to, to fight and try to overthrow regimes and shed blood and all that to take down the rich and give to the poor. And it sounds noble, but that's not the way Jesus is talking about going about it. Amen. So Jesus is presented at times like a Marxist revolutionary type of person, but that's not the real Jesus. That's an altogether different Jesus. You understand? Also, here in America, who's, who's familiar with the New Age? Okay. Well, Jesus is presented in the New Age like an ascended master, uh, or you could say like an Eastern guru. How many knows that is not the Jesus of the Bible? That is altogether a different Jesus. Also, here in America, this is so sad, but it's become increasingly so in the last couple of decades, that there's this weird liberal Jesus that embraces um, sexual perversions the Bible is against, embraces um, abortion, embraces all kinds of things, but how many knows that that's not the Jesus of the Bible? That's some type of weird liberal fake Jesus that people want to be real, and that's the Jesus they accept and the Jesus they worship, but that's not the real Jesus. There's also, I've seen Jesus presented in all kinds of different ways. I've seen, and please take this the right way, but I've seen Jesus presented as a black man or a Mexican man. How many knows that Jesus was a Jew? I've also seen Jesus presented as a white guy. Wrong Jesus? I've also seen Jesus presented by different cults like Islam. The Jesus of Islam is not the real Jesus. I've seen Jesus presented by the Mormons, and that's not the same Jesus we know. And I would say even Roman Catholicism the type of Jesus presented there is either a baby or he's dead or on a crucifix. But I'm just telling you, I have strong reservations that that's not the same Jesus I know. So my question to you is tonight, what is truth? Well, number one, Jesus, but do you really know the real Jesus? Because there's a lot of different Jesuses out there. And if you don't know the real Jesus, I would submit to you, that you have not known the true, pure gospel. But you've heard a different message. You've heard a different gospel. And some kind of perversion of scripture. So where you should have been given the actual pure Jesus Christ, you were given a different Jesus. And also a different gospel that went along with this Jesus. And a perversion of the word of God that promoted this Jesus, but you need the real Jesus and his real pure word. Amen? And where you have a different Jesus and a different gospel, you will not only have a perversion of Scripture, 
but you will have a different spirit than the Holy Spirit. That's one of the reasons why. And and those that have been following my ministry now for years, you're going to understand what I'm saying here. But that's one of the reasons why I began to really dig down and preach about the Hebrew roots of the faith. Was because I didn't want people... Look, Christianity sprung up out of the soil of the Hebrew faith. Amen? And Jesus is a Jew. And so I wanted to bring that depth and that reality of the real Jesus and the real Word of God and the real move of the Holy Spirit. Book of Acts Christianity. And when Jesus comes back, I'm telling you, He's coming back as a Jew. And where is He going to come to? To Jerusalem. To sit on the throne of David and reign from Israel for a thousand years. That's the real Jesus. How many know that Jesus? Amen. There's a lot of different Jesuses out there. So let me give one more thing tonight and we're going to wind this down. What is the source of deception? First Corinthians chapter one, verse 20, it says, where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. You know, that was the one, one of the things I really loved about Steve Hill's ministry was when he brought the gospel, his goal, and he would say this, it was kind of funny to hear him say this, you know, but he said this himself. He said, I preach the gospel, and he said this on moron level. He said, my goal is for this little bitty kid here to understand the gospel just as much as this person over here. He wanted anybody there to be able to understand the gospel. There is a simplicity of the gospel. In fact, it's so simple that the wise of the world can't accept it. Because it seems foolish to them. Verse 22, For indeed the Jews will ask for signs and the Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. And to the Jews, that's a stumbling block. And to the Gentiles, it seems foolishness to them. But to those who are called, how many are called? Both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling. Don't you think about this, because I'm making a point here in a moment as what creates deception? The first thing I'm going to bring out that brings deception is pride. Okay, so let me show you something. I want you to consider your calling because for you to really be Christ's, you're one of these. You ready? (laughs) For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh among you. Not many that were mighty. Not many noble. 
But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame that which is strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen for the things that are not so that he may nullify things that are so that no man may boast before God. So for all of us that are called, God is saying, I've chosen you as the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. How many can feel really puffed up and arrogant about that? The greatest doorway for deception is pride, by far. We have to really guard ourselves from pride, because pride paves the way. If you want to really take notes about things tonight, make sure and get that revelation about the menorah. But the second thing I would say is, write this down, watch out for pride. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. God gives His grace to the humble. And I pray on a regular basis all the time, Lord, I humble myself. Give me grace and wisdom because I depend on that. I need God's grace and I need His wisdom. Because there's so many times we're not going to know what to do. But God will give us wisdom, amen? But pride opens the door for great deception to come in. And I think that that's a lot of the reason why things are the way they are in in much of Christendom right now in America goes back to pride. Another aspect of pride opens the door for rebellion. And rebellion is also going to cause great deception. So here's the warning. God has given, he called the churches in the book of Revelation, the Lord who walks among the lampstands. So River of Life, as a church, God views us as a lampstand. Did you ever think about that? God views River of Life as a lampstand. And that our root system go back to the Hebrew roots of the faith. It's fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who's the centerpiece. But God wants us preaching the true Christ, the true gospel, the pure Word of God in a pure, powerful move of the Holy Spirit, that we are an effective lampstand that is providing light for people. But the only way that we're going to be able to do that is to walk in humility. But here's the danger about rebellion. When people get lifted up with pride and they get rebellious, they don't see the need to listen to people that God has put over them. Hello? And they no longer see the need to go to church and to submit themselves under the authority of the local church. Rebellion. So therefore, they're no longer submitting themselves under the pure word of God being preached under the anointing in that church and the powerful move of the Holy Spirit. And they drift off out there and they've disconnected themselves, mind you, from the menorah. And they no longer are drawing what they need from that menorah. And they begin to die. Think about it for a moment. This is their own choice. Their own choice is they break their little selves off from the church and and go out there. Excuse me. And what happens when a branch is disconnected from the tree? What happens to the branch? So they begin... 
to stop bearing fruit like they used to when they were properly connected. Their leaves begin to wither and they begin to dry up and they begin to spiritually die. It's their choice to disconnect, isn't it? How many people today are out of church? There's a place that I know of where um, it's supposed to be a Christian organization. It's not a church. And a minister told me this. He said the people that are there, and there's a large group, he said only about 25% of those people that call themselves Christians actually faithfully go to church. 25%. And I would say that that's not uncommon anymore. So think about it for a moment. They're disconnecting, they're cutting themselves off from the menorah, and they're out there and they're dying spiritually. And sadly, I would say, if I was to ask people, let me grab this thing again. I just may just carry this thing around tonight. Well, it's a good illustration, isn't it? And you know, I remember that uh, Brother Steve used to do this too, didn't he? Back at Browns, you remember that? Always had some kind of an illustrated sermon. But I wonder how many places today, if you were to take all, all the places that call themselves a church within, let's say, maybe just 50 miles around me right here, I wonder how many places on any given weekend that the Lord would look down and would actually see a lit menorah that that's a place where the Lord Jesus Christ dwells where his pure word is being preached under the anointing and people are convicted of their sin, where people are getting the ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit, the gifts are in operation, where the sick are being healed, where people are being delivered. How many places do you think, if the Lord was to look down, that he could say, ah, there's a a well-lit menorah there of my people? Or how many places have they lost their menorah And it's just become a gathering of people. So three things to watch out for to keep yourself from deception. Number one, pride, rebellion. And rebellion is very dangerous. Let me say one more thing about rebellion. Satan rebelled and lost his place in heaven. Adam rebelled and lost his place. How many knows that God's not going to let a bunch of rebels in his heaven? People that refuse to repent of rebellion are not going to be through those pearly gates. All right, number three, fear. Fear instead of faith. God has called us to walk in faith. Amen? And so watch out because fear is dangerous because the Bible says that we need to have faith in God. And so I look at it like this. I've got more faith in God to keep me than I do the devil to deceive me. So be humble, be under authority, and be full of faith. Those are the three things. So how are we going to be sustained in these last days? I'm just going to read through this and then we're going to pray for people tonight. How are you going to be sustained? Number one, make sure that you truly know the true Jesus of the Bible. Number two, that you get in a church that Jesus is truly the head of that church. Did you know the Bible says Jesus is supposed to be the head of the church? 
But I wonder today, if you were to go in many, many board meetings of churches around this nation, I wonder how many of them are joining together in prayer and maybe some fasting, and they're asking the Lord for direction, and and they're actually hearing from Him, and then doing what He says to do. If you're not doing that, and you're just running it like a business, He's not the head of your church. You're just doing your own thing, and he's just sitting back there watching you do your own thing. But if you want the Lord to be the head of the church, then you need to ask him, Lord, what do you want us to do? And then submit yourself to what the Lord Jesus Christ says to do. So is Jesus go to a place where Jesus is the head of the church, and they preach the whole counsel of God? Another thing I would say is this, know the Holy Spirit for yourself. I know the Holy Spirit. I know His presence. I know His voice. I know His leading. And once you really get to know the Holy Spirit, you're going to know if there's something that's not quite right. If you get around another spirit, you're going to feel uncomfortable. How many have ever been around something you just kind of felt uncomfortable in your spirit? You're like, something isn't right. Also, know the word for yourself. It's so important that we get to know the Bible for ourselves and live it out. And I would say a few more pieces of advice. Don't put men on a pedestal. Because people are just people. I've had multiple times where I thought the world of of so-and-so, and then, you know, you get things come up and you get disappointed. People are just people. Amen? Don't get your eyes on people. Get, keep your eyes on Jesus. Look, I know a person personally that told me, and I've heard stuff like this many times. They started years ago. They don't live here, okay? But years ago when they did, they came here and God really touched them. But then they got around the wrong people. When they moved to a different state, lost faith in God. And I understand some of the things they told me as to why they did. But my response is, don't get your eyes on men. Keep your eyes on Jesus. People will let you down. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He'll never let you down. And be careful not to chase after prophets or seek after prophecies. Uh, you know, we have a guy, a Brother Benny Baker. I love Brother Benny. Love him. And he's a true prophet of God. I mean, he really hears from God. I believe he walks in that office. I have no doubt about it. I've had him speak for me for over 10 years, but I don't chase after Brother Benny. Every time I need a word or something, you know what I do? I get alone with God. I mean, if he ever has a word for me, I mean, he's feel free to call me, but I don't go chasing after him. I need to hear from God for myself. And if I can't hear from God for myself, there is something wrong. And I don't go chasing after prophecies either. I'm thankful because I have several words that God has given me through the years from different people that I pray over those prophecies and I cherish them. I honor prophecy. I don't despise prophecy. But I don't chase after it either. See, when Brother Benny comes to minister, I always pray as a pastor, Lord, let the heavens be open. Let your presence be there. Let there be a pure flow of revelation whatever you're saying to your people. And if, you know, I'm just using Brother Benny as an example. But, I mean, if he has a word for me, wonderful. If he don't, I'm fine either way. 
So another thing is don't try to come up with revelation. Sometimes people feel pressured to come up with something. So let me give you the scripture that really ministers to me. How many have read in, in the book of Psalms where it says like a weaned child that you trust in the Lord? All right. So those that have had little bitty babies that are still nursing babes, how many have had that at some point in your life? What do they do every time they're hungry? I mean, just at the moment, what do they do? They start whining and crying. They want something right then. But when a child is matured some where they're weaned, they know that there's a proper time that they're going to eat and to not be whining about it. When, you know, the time will come. So God wants us to learn to kind of be mature. Are y'all hearing me? Be mature like, like a weaned child. And I just trust in the Lord. If I ask the Lord for wisdom, I say, Lord, I really need you to speak to me about this. I don't know what to do here. I ask you for wisdom. I'm not going to be sitting there going, well, right now. I, I need this right now. And just keep pestering him. I trust that he heard me. And like a weaned child, I trust in him. And when it's time for him to give me that revelation, he'll give it to me. And I trust in him to give it to me when it needs to come and however he sees fit. And I'm fine with that. When you try to come up with stuff is when you're in danger because you're probably going to come up with something. Let me say this. There's a difference between the Lord showing you something and fantasy. Your own imagination is in the realm of fantasy. And I wonder in the last days, I want you just to think about this. I'm going to say it in passing. In these last days where it says there's going to be so much deception. And there's also going to be false prophets, etc. This is the generation, please hear me, that has more fantasy constantly before their eyes with these stupid phones all the time, games, TV shows, constant fantasy and images, 24-7, if you will, all the time. And those of us my age or older know that we just didn't have that, thank God. And I wonder how much that realm of false imagination, false revelation, fantasy realm where they don't know the difference between God showing them something and fantasy. I wonder how much that's going to play into all this false prophecy. Just something to think about. But trusting God to lead you. And then finally, the last thing I would say is walk in great humility and the fear of the Lord. If you want to be blessed, do a scriptural study. Look this up. It's easy nowadays. You can just simply Google something, but look up scriptures about humility and then do a word search and do scriptures about those that fear the Lord. Those two subjects. And you will see that some of the most amazing promises in all of the Bible are given to those that will walk humbly and in the fear of the Lord. God is going to be with the humble. And he's going to be with those that fear the Lord. But see, people don't like that message about the fear of the Lord in America. In fact, I would say there's three messages that are not well received. 
One of them is on humility. Another one is on submission to authority. And the third one is on the fear of the Lord in America. Those three messages not well received. But Jesus taught us this. You know, it's so bad that some people kind of water down the fear of the Lord and they say, well, it doesn't mean you have to fear the Lord. Yeah, it does. <laughs> and what do you think it means? So Jesus said this. He said, don't fear the one that, that can just kill your body. What did Jesus say? He said, no, I tell you, fear the one who can kill your body and then throw your soul into hell. Yeah, you need to fear that guy. Listen, God wants, Jesus says this, and Isaiah says about Jesus, rather, that in the fear of the Lord, he delights. God wants us walking in a reverential fear of the Lord. That Paul said, after I've preached to others, I beat my body under subjection, lest I myself become a castaway. The Lord, Paul understood, I could be broken off. And a castaway, if I get into sin. How many knows that there are people that have preached to others, but they themselves today, as I'm speaking to you, are in hell right now? So as we walk in humility and the fear of the Lord, we just need to be honest with God about our sin. Don't make excuses. Don't blame other people. Just be honest with God. One guy has said, well, if I don't bring it up, maybe he won't know. <laughs> no, he knows. <laughs> Just be honest with God. Say, Lord, I have sinned. It was me. I was wrong. Don't blame other people. It's me. And once you get to a place of being honest with God about your sin, you stop making excuses, you stop blaming others, just repent of it before God. If we'll get to a place of being truly honest with God, deeply repentant of our sin, and we'll be quick to forgive other people, we're in a good place. Amen? But I think sometimes we need to realize that we need to be blessable. God cannot bless people that refuse to be honest with their sin. Are y'all hearing me? He cannot really truly move in their life. You know why sometimes people are not really delivered, they're not really healed, they don't get their breakthrough? Because they haven't gotten brutally honest with God. They're still blaming somebody else. Look, people are going to wrong you out there. At the end of the day, people are going to do whatever they're going to do. That's between them and God. I want God, I want my life to be blessable. I want God to be able to look at my life and say, well, I can bless him because he's right before me. I'm not blaming other people. I'm just being brutally honest before God. So be honest about your sin. Be quick to repent and quick to forgive. And I close with this. Hebrews 5.14. But solid food is for the mature. Everybody say Mature. Who because of practice have their senses trained to distinguish good from evil. So you develop your inner man to be able to discern between good and evil. You can sense if something is of God or something isn't of God. That's discernment in your spirit. In 1 Corinthians 2.10 For to us God revealed them through the spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. 
For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of that man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Which things we also speak not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts and spiritual words. But look at this. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. We have to grow up into Christ where for ourselves we know if it's of God or not. Let's make it unbelievably practical for a moment. Paul's walking to a place of prayer. Some lady comes out and she's screaming out there saying, these men are servants of the Most High God, teaching you the way to be saved. How many would think that she was a prophet of God? But Paul, after this happened for many days, was troubled in his spirit. And he turned and said, in Jesus' name, come out of her. And there was a demon in that woman. That was the python serpent that came out of her. She was delivered from a demon. And she was a fortune teller. But Paul would have never known that except by the Spirit. You see what I'm saying? So we have to have some type of discernment about this. If you read that story, Paul was chafed in his spirit. He was troubled in his spirit by it. He knew something wasn't right. We've got to start developing our inner man in the spirit by getting to know the Holy Spirit, praying in the spirit, getting in the word, knowing the word, and growing up into Christ to where we're mature enough that we can know if something's actually of God or not. Because in these last days, there's going to be deception. Even the likes of which people are going to pray and there's going to be miracles, signs and wonders by false Christ and false prophets. So how many would see somebody on the street and they're praying for somebody and they get healed miraculously right there? You would think, well, that's surely of God. It might be. It also might be a false spirit doing that. You have to discern. You've got to distinguish. So I'm going to close out with prayer. And I want us to join together here a little bit. I'm going to go through and pray for everybody who wants prayer tonight. Lord, I thank you for your anointing. I thank you for an open heaven, your glory here. I thank you, Lord, for your presence. That even as we're together today in the word, and your Holy Spirit is moving, Lord, that we might all know the true Christ, the true gospel. Lord, that we might know the pure word of God and the pure move of your spirit and be in a place where that is in a good church, wherever people are, because people listen to this in other parts of our nation and around the world, that you find a good church where it is a true lampstand where God really moves. And Lord, that we will be ready when the Lord comes. We're going to be in a good place where we're growing up into Christ and have discernment. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Give us discernment in these last days to distinguish between what's of God and what's not. We thank you for your wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.